Astronomy Cast, episode 667, JWST First Science Results. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. I'm Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today. With me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a senior scientist for the Planetary Science Institute and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I, I am doing well. I had a super exciting thing happen on Saturday. What happened? The very first episode of Escape Velocity Space News aired on Now Media Television. Our new TV show has gone out to the masses, and we're going to be releasing the podcast and YouTube versions this week. So I'm hoping everyone will go check it out. Well, that's exciting. Where, If you want to watch it on the television, where do you have to live? So I, I can't keep track of all of the cities they, they have coverage in. I know that they're in Houston, uh, I want to say San Antonio, Atlanta, Mexico City, and there are other cities. But if you go to nowmedia.tv, you can find out all the cities. And mm-hmm. they also go out on Roku and, of course, on their own website. That's cool. So if you have a Roku, you can subscribe to the Now yep. Television channel and then you can watch. Or you can just watch it on, on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's funny, but like, what is a television show in this modern age? Well, it's it's so weird because it's Patreon funded. When did TV start to be Patreon funded? But this mm-hmm. is where we live, people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Astronomers came together in January to present their newest research. And not surprisingly, the winter AAS meeting was heavy on news from the James Webb Space Telescope. What were some of the new results that were announced? Now, you didn't attend this AAS, did you? You normally I, you do. Remotely. It's, yeah. it's, COVID is still bad enough that like going to a hundred person event last weekend was like the limits and I still <laughs> was exposed to COVID, but yeah. like same room, different time blocks. Right. <sighs> yeah. But you didn't get it. No. Good. Um, yeah, it's funny. So like the last time we were together, was at the winter meeting of the AAS in Honolulu in yes. 2020. And this was about about a month and a half, two months into the beginnings of the pandemic. And I think we even had this very conversation. Yes. Like, this is probably the last time that we're going to be traveling for a while. And true enough, I haven't been on an airplane since. So yeah. 2020, so three years now, I haven't been on an airplane yeah, uh, but I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm almost ready to get back on an airplane and start to to travel again. But uh, but I've been busy, you know, with with the with the forest. So, um, but uh, so what? I guess you know what were the, what were the big? I guess we're just going to dive into this. Let's talk about this. So, like you know, as I mentioned in my introduction, right? It was it was JWST news. Why was it so heavy on news from Web? Well, it was that sweet spot where folks started getting their data about six months ago, and six months is kind of the minimum amount of time needed for a well-funded research team, especially if there's a summer in there, to go from data in hand to analyzed result that's ready to be presented and, in some cases, published. And so a lot of the time from up to this point, like the, the news that we've been seeing has been like someone from NASA has gone, here's some 
here's a cool picture and posting it on the NASA website with the bare minimum description or some researchers or there's been stuff that's been publicly available that people are, are pouring over because some of the stuff is in, in open access. But a lot of it is proprietary research. Yep. They've booked time on the telescope. They got their data. Only they got it. Mm-hmm. And now they've had up to six months to analyze it, process it, and they were able to start explaining it to their cohorts at the American Astronomical Society meeting. Yes. And the results that came out spanned everything from star formation in a whole variety of star forming regions to remarkable observations of some of the earliest detected galaxies in the universe. And it's hard to even figure out where to start because really the science spans the entire gamut of, of the profession, basically. It, there were even a couple of planets. <laughs> right. So, I, I mean, were there any like large themes I, I think there were two big themes. One was star formation observed with JWST, and the other one was these early galaxies and do they, don't they break our understanding of how our universe formed and evolved. All right. Well, let's go into star formation then. Yes. So... Back in July, we got that amazing, they named it Cosmic Cliffs image Mm -hmm. of the Carina Nebula. And the set of filters that they turned into that beautiful color image included filters that light couldn't pass through. So you have this yellow wall with the, the blue nebulosity above it. Now, when they instead only look at some of the filters, they're able to see through that yellow wall to all the star formation that's going on within. The Carina Nebula is known to be a remarkable star forming region. There have been papers from Hubble coming out detailing uh, solar system uh, proplids. These are the, the Kukuni formations where a star is just starting to light up in the core. There have been objects called Herbic Harrow objects that are protostars that as material flows in to them, some of it gets ejected then through jets in the axes of rotation. Uh, there, there's been a whole variety of these different young active stars detected in the past, but the detections have always been, we kind of sort of think we're seeing this, but we're not really sure. Well, when JWST hit the scene, it not only was able to go, yes, all of those are real. Herbig Harrow, Herbig Harrow, young star, young star, Mm -hmm, identifying mm -hmm. all of them. It was able to also identify additional new objects, additional new jets, and the jets in particular are, are what we're interested in because as a molecular cloud like the one that, that led to all this star formation in Carina, as it fragments and collapses into individual stars, the biggest fragments collapse down fastest. Gravity does that. Biggest stars form first. You get these jets coming out. 
Those jets then smush the other fragments around them, thus triggering more and more star formation, hollowing out nebula over time. This is a stellar feedback mechanism. And, well, once you turn off that yellow wall by going to longer wavelengths, you can see this stellar formation and this stellar feedback in action. And Carina was just one example of this. Hubble famously observed the pillars of creation, and that image has been used in just about everything <laughs> since then. Yeah. Um, well, JWST got their own version of that image that we saw last fall, and yet again, we're seeing more of this star formation identifying the details. And this is starting to allow us to get at something I think we're going to start hearing more and more about again, and this is what's called the initial mass function, which is the distribution of sizes that stars form in out of different collapsing and fragmenting molecular clouds. And by looking at all these different systems that have different contents, different masses, and seeing how stars of different masses form in different numbers, it starts to allow us to get down to the population statistics of these regions in ways we couldn't when we couldn't look through the gas. So uh, yay for x-ray vision that's actually infrared vision. And I think that that, re- that release was like the perfect example of this first initial show off of a really great picture, but with not a lot of science going right. on. There, there was like, no science. He, here, well, there was some. I mean, but here is the Carina Nebula. Look at these cool cosmic cliffs. And they yeah. describe some of the features, right? Like, you know that you've got this, like, when you think about that picture, you're seeing the combined stellar wind of all of the stars that have already mostly formed and, and blown out their neighborhood. And nice. it's like this, this, this combined wind that they're creating that is continuing to pile up and blow away this this material off into space and eventually the whole area will be clear to feel a lot more like say the uh the pleiades but for now you've got the parts that are in nebula and out of nebula and then you got to see a few little knots and regions and stuff but this time around now they've gone back through and they've measured things and they and they're saying like here's a star and there's a star and here's a jet and then they're measuring the amounts and quantities and they're also looking at the kinds of chemicals that are piling up and so you get this this detailed analysis of six months of the astronomers doing their job on what was a beautiful picture. And in many cases is probably some of your phone wallpaper right now, <laughs> but we got the final, we got the analysis of that picture and, yes. and that, and that for astronomers is really interesting because no star forming region has been imaged at this level. And I think like with Hubble, we, I mean, we have images of the Korean nebula taken by Hubble and we have images yes. from the Eagle nebula, but but Hubble has some infrared capability, and so Webb was able to give far more resolution and also peer through a lot of the gas and dust that's obscured to Hubble yeah. to see even more features. And so they're looking at many new objects that had never been seen before, as well as being able to confirm the objects that Hubble had already seen. So yeah, just amazing research. And that is, that is I think, just like the perfect example of a gorgeous picture. Yeah. And now the, the follow-on science, which is just as interesting to astronomers. 
And hopefully to the public. And with both of these systems, it's really a matter of looking at the forest, where we're seeing the entire region of star formation going on. But there were also opportunities where it was able to focus in on not just individual trees, but their leaves, you might say, to <laughs> carry that analogy far too far. And, yeah. and this is where they, they have this tremendous image of Wolf Ray 140, which is, is a binary system with, with a Wolf Ray star. It's about 10 solar masses and a companion that is an O-type star, about 30 solar masses. And these two systems go around each other every 7.9 years. And when they do, it compresses out a shell of material. And so we're able to see these individual shells that are getting compressed together through orbital mechanics and gravity playing together as this young star is settling down into its very short life. It's these kinds of details that JWST is going to allow us to hopefully start to understand some of the more complex interactions that just haven't made sense to us as we'd like. We're seeing the same thing happening with planetary nebula and other forming stars, and there's just, where do you want to go next? Yeah. All right, so the next big theme was on the cosmology side, the large-scale structures in the universe, the things that are most distant. And at the AAAS meeting, the the research that we had to, to look at, the published results are based on two different fields that contain galaxy clusters that we're using to to basically fast track us to being able to see the earliest objects in the universe uh, in as little telescope time as possible. These two fields uh, included an Abel cluster, a SMAX cluster, and the these two systems, their mass allowed us to see magnified and enhanced amounts of light from galaxies we now have confirmation are 350 and 450 million years after the Big Bang is is when we're seeing them. And they were already formed and they're extremely bright. There's two different competing uh, research teams that published on these. One uh, was led by Rohan Nadu from MIT, and the other one was led by Marco Castellano of the Astronomical Observatory of Rome. And, and so when you have two different teams both confirming the same look-back time for these two systems, that tells us that, yes, JWST is seeing things that long long ago, and we also see evidence still needs to be confirmed, still needs to go through peer review, potentially of bright galaxies that we're seeing them as they appeared just 200 million years after wow. the Big Bang. Yeah. And, and that's within the capacity, probably through gravitational lensing, though. It's going to take... Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and I think one of the things that's quite surprising is how well-formed these galaxies are. I know with one piece of research, they saw fairly mature-looking spiral galaxies just yes. like maybe a billion years after the Big Bang. Galaxies that would look identical to 
to what we have today. And this is one of the things that the high resolution that JWST is capable of acquiring data at is allowing us to see that there were already not just brighter than we expected galaxies, but bigger than we expected galaxies and more maturely formed galaxies. And this is causing a a rash of two different kinds of papers. One is saying cosmology is is wrong. We don't yeah. understand it. JWST overthrows cosmology. I don't think that cosmologists are making that claim. I think you have some people who are uh, alternative theorists who have been pushing that diatribe for decades now and are looking for any little crack in observations to push that narrative. So the the narrative is related to the structures of lambda uh, cold dark matter, where where the, the question is, can we understand the ability of dark matter, which we don't fully understand, that is moving fairly slowly... That's the cold part um, to to quickly form massive structures. So on one hand, we have the folks that have been doing some fairly sophisticated computer modeling saying, yeah, you can't get things that big that fast. Now, on the other hand, you have the star formation people going, wait, wait, early universe. We don't understand the first stars. So the the argument is is actually coming down to were the first stars so much brighter and was their initial mass function to bring that phrase back again was their initial mass function so different from what we're used to seeing in the modern universe that it was possible to have exceedingly bright 10 times brighter than expected galaxies within those first few hundred million years or is there something in our understanding of how the early universe, like molecular clouds, fragmented and collapsed? Which of those two things, mm. or both, is, is where the struggle is? My, my personal feeling is that we don't have a good understanding of the initial mass function of the early universe because you only had hydrogen and helium. And we know that the initial mass function is is strongly related to the metallicity of stars. So I, I'm leaning that the majority of the problem is going to be on stars were just brighter back then, and we're still understanding that. One of the observations that I really enjoyed from this round of, of press releases was the imaging of objects that look like green pea galaxies. And these were a finding <laughs> by one, uh, by a team of citizens. It was a galaxy zoo? Anyway. It was galaxies. Or, yeah, yeah. Found these weird galaxies that are green pea galaxies. And so they are, they're mashed together and you're seeing the light coming, the collective light from all of the ionized gas in the galaxy. There's so much ionized gas in the galaxy that it's just glowing in the ultraviolet and it appeared green in the images. Not that it's actually green. And JWST was able to find examples of these galaxies early, early on in the universe. And 
although the wavelengths were pushed Shifted. into the infrared, right. by all means, they matched these green pea galaxies. And so what's exciting about that is you get this connection. You've got these things that are very close at hand and are relatively easy to study, and you've got a confirmation that these things are very similar to the things that we saw at the beginning of the universe. And so you can study the ones that are nearby. They're easy to get your hands on and know that you're looking at something that is kind of primordial. It's like, it's like people pulling up a coelacanth from the bottom of the ocean, you know, this, this primordial fish and, and knowing that this thing's been around for this long. You can study an alligator or a crocodile and know that a version of this has been around for hundreds of millions of years. So I, uh, I really enjoyed the, uh, the, that story and sort of what the implications were. I, I'm really enjoying the fact that as we're able to see better and better in the infrared, we're able to see that the expansion of the universe has just taken things that are familiar in the ultraviolet in the modern universe and shifted them so in the Middle Ages, they were optical colored. Hubble showed them to us. And now we're seeing the exact same objects from early in the universe that, that are shifted all the way into the infrared. And this confirms to us that while so many things have completely changed, the metallicity content of the universe, the number of heavy atoms, essentially, the basic physics of how things turn on, how they form, what they look like, is the same at every single epoch, except for maybe that very first epoch, because there was only hydrogen and helium. Now, did we get any planetary news? There was. So uh, JWST was able to confirm a test source. It had been seen as, as two rough transits. Previously, it was seen again by JWST, and with JWST's uh, abilities, they were like, yes, this is a planet. And there there was another world that originally they thought maybe this isn't a planet because there was a, a double eclipse. And, and the thinking initially was that it was a sun-like star and a Jupiter-like planet. And with that size of a planet, you shouldn't be seeing both kinds of dips. Mm. But then they redid some of the star's physics and they were able to figure out, no, wait, this, this is an object that the star is actually significantly bigger, significantly hotter, and yes, that is also a planet. So we're at the finding planets. We are at the, they are starting to look at atmospheres. They are still in the stages of eliminating stuff that they don't see, but getting down to the stuff we're interested in, like carbon dioxide, is going to take a bit longer just because it's harder to observe. It's deeper down in the atmosphere. And there was another image, and this isn't exactly planets. I guess it kind of is, but but it was a picture taken by JWST of this fairly famous newly forming planetary system called AU Microscope. BI microscopium and the star system is, is fairly new and it's relatively close and it's seen edge on. But what was cool was you got a chance to see the coronagraph from JWST in operation. And so it was blocking out the light from the star and you could see the protoplanetary disk surrounding it. And astronomers have already found multiple planets in this disk. And so 
you're seeing the leftover planetesimals that have all that are all crashing into each other and creating this rubble area around the star that is probably still causing mayhem. As we think back to the early age of the of the solar system with the late heavy bombardment period, you've got that rough period that these planets are going through right now in this nearby star system. And it's, it's an amazing picture to see this, the star is gone and then yeah. the fainter objects around it are, are revealed. So very cool. And, and there's a, my, my favorite star and I have to look at its license plate every time. Uh, it's a star in Taurus L1527. Uh, and this is one that you interviewed the scientist who, who worked on it over on the weekly space hangout. And it's a fan-like structure coming out from this little tiny dark line of a disk in the center that has a young star in the very center. And the light coming out in cones, just like a flashlight beam into a dust storm, allows you to see all the structure of the gas around this young solar system. And I just love the ability that we're finding with JWST to make out the fine structure. Mm -hmm. A bunch of new work on the Southern Ring Nebula uh, is is showing very similar. Okay, let's turn on just this one narrow band filter. Okay, so we see the hot gas in the center. Let's turn on this other filter. Okay, now we see all this filigreed ring structure, including planetary nebula form through the basically exhalation of the atmosphere of a star into the surrounding space. And in the outskirts of this, you start to see faint individual rings from when the material was getting blasted off of this young white dwarf. Very cool. All right. We're going to have to wait another six months for the next big AAS meeting. And then I'm sure we will see another, probably even more comprehensive list of stories coming out of JWST. Thanks, Pamela. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of our audience members uh, who support us through Patreon dot com slash astronomy cast this week i would like to thank by name michelle cullen dean mcdaniel scott briggs j alex anderson michael regan benjamin carrier matt rucker peter abraham cottrell sharesome uh jim mcgeehan uh frodo he gave me pronunciations that include a character i don't know what it means it's not helpful Okay. <laughs> Fredo, I'm going to figure this out. Fredo Tenenbaum, uh, uh, Philip Grand, Mark Stephen Rasnack, Antisor, Brent uh, Karanop, Father Prax, Dwight Ilk, uh, Bruce Amazine, GForce184, Dustin Ralph, uh, Planetar, Alex Rain, Glenn McDavid, Andrew Stevenson, Paul Hayden, James Roger, uh, Sean Matz, Mansky, The Mysterious Mark, Karthik Vekatraman, Sam Brooks, and his mom. Thank you all so much. And thank you to all of you who are putting in pronunciation guides. And um, dear human whose name I continue to mispronounce, mispronounce, I'll look up that letter that was deeply mysterious. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. 
Astronomy Cast is a joint product of Universe Today and the Planetary Science Institute. Astronomy Cast is released under a Creative Commons attribution license. So love it, share it, and remix it. But please credit it to our hosts, Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can get more information on today's show topic on our website, astronomycast.com. This episode was brought to you thanks to our generous patrons on Patreon. If you want to help keep this show going, please consider joining our community at patreon.com slash astronomycast. Not only do you help us pay our producers a fair wage, you will also get special access to content right in your inbox and invites to online events. We are so grateful to all of you who have joined our Patreon community already. Anyways, keep looking up. This has been Astronomy Cast. <laughs>